I too want to wish you a very happy Palm Sunday. It is a joy to share this experience with you. I'd invite you to take out your connection card and just begin the process of filling that out. You can also find this on our app. You can also leave a prayer request with us. And at the end of our gathering, you'll be able to take your connection card and any offering you have to share today. You can place that in the baskets as you leave. Again, just a joy to share this day with you. One day... Jesus had a conversation with his followers, and he said some interesting things, like this, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. These words are found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. And this is quite a call here from Jesus, don't you think? If any of you wants to be my follower, give up your own way. And the idea of the language here is that you must say no to yourself. So if you want to follow me, Jesus is saying, deny yourself, say no to who you are, and take up your cross, and then follow me. That word follow there is a present tense verb that has the idea of keep on following. So it's not a one-time thing, but I want you to keep on doing this. So Jesus shares, if you want to be my follower, say no to yourself, take up your cross, and then regularly or daily keep following me. It's like Jesus is saying, here's what I want for everybody, especially those who claim to know me and love me and follow me. Here's what I want. I want you to say no to you, and I want you to say yes to me. This is what Jesus is presenting here. If you want to follow me, say no to yourself and say yes to me. No big deal, right? Like this is a really hard thing that Jesus is presenting here. I love what scholar N.T. Wright says about this. From the beginning, writers like Paul and John recognize that this isn't just difficult, but actually impossible. There's some good news for you on Palm Sunday, right? Like, take up your cross and keep on following me. Well, it's impossible. We can't do this by some kind of Herculean moral effort. The only way is drawing strength from beyond ourselves. And I believe drawing strength from beyond ourselves is found in the phrase here in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus says, follow me. And when we keep on following Jesus, we have the opportunity to be transformed into his image, which will help us become rooted in Christ. 
This brings us to our ninth core belief of Christianity. As we think about being rooted in Christ, we have been walking through core beliefs. What do Christians actually hang on to as they think about their faith? And today I want to present the ninth core belief, and it's captured in the word stewardship. So as we think about different core beliefs of Christianity, what serves as our foundation, as our base? One of those core beliefs is stewardship. Now, if you are a Christ follower, hopefully this will serve as a loving reminder to you of what God desires for your stewardship and for what you manage for him. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. If you are not a follower of Christ or you would say, you know, I'm not so sure about that, then today you will get a picture of what God wants for those who follow him. So let's think about stewardship. And to do that, we want to approach it this way. I'll share a big idea that will frame our conversation. And then I want to define the word stewardship from a biblical standpoint. What does it actually mean? And if this is a core belief, we should have some level of understanding of here's what this means for us as we seek to live for Christ. So we'll roll out a stewardship definition. And then I want to share two thinking points and then two takeaways. Okay? That's our outline for today. A big idea, a stewardship definition, two thinking points, and then two takeaways. Here's our big idea. Everything I am and everything I own belongs to God. Everything I am and everything I own, which I actually don't own and will discover that, it belongs to God. Now, that might seem like a very simple statement, but if followers of Jesus actually lived this, Everything I am and everything I own, it belongs to God. That would be extraordinary and transformative. So everything we now discuss will flow from this. Everything I am and everything I own, it belongs to God. Okay, a stewardship definition. Throughout this theme, we have been using content put together by author and pastor Randy Frazee. And he has packaged core beliefs, core practices, and core behaviors, and we're going to walk through all of that. He is an excellent author and provides wonderful content, and I really identified with his definition of biblical stewardship, so let me share that with you. Here's how we can define this. The biblical idea of stewardship is that through a relationship with God, we move from the title of owner to the position of manager. A steward is simply a manager. So as we move through our time, these two words are interchangeable. Stewardship and management, they're kind of one and the same as we think of it from a biblical point of view. And let's not underestimate the impact of managing. It's a really important thing. And that brings us to the picture that you will see on the screens. 
So check this out. You may remember from the first Rocky movie that Mickey comes to Rocky and he declares, Rocky, what you need is a manager. You got to have somebody managing you. That's what Mickey says to Rocky, and they argue about that because Rocky's a little upset with Mickey at this particular time, and he doesn't want a manager. He thinks he can take care of all of this on his own, but after some deliberation, he realizes, yeah, I need a manager, not someone to own me, but I need someone who can help me and manage all the different things that it will take for me to be a world-class boxer. So Rocky invites Mickey to be his manager, and the rest, we can say, is cinematic history, right? It actually worked. It worked. The point is, managers are really important, and they have something to do, even if they aren't the actual owner. Okay? So just kind of put that into your head as we walk through our time Together, managers are important and they have something to do even though they may not be the owner. Two thinking points. Here we go. Number one, God is the owner. We've already referenced this, but let's dig into it a little bit more. For the follower of Christ Jesus, God is the owner. And this isn't just a suggestion. This is a reality for us. God is the owner. Would you turn with me, please, to the Old Testament book of Psalm, and I'm going to read a couple of verses out of chapter 24. Chapter 24 comes right after the famous 23rd Psalm that declares, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. And there are other wonderful words found in that particular psalm. When we get to Psalm 24, the occasion that inspired the composition of this is a little unknown. So scholars aren't exactly sure, although they say David wrote this psalm, and it's very likely that he wrote this when the Ark of the Covenant of God was coming into the city of Jerusalem which would have been a magnificent event to see because the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. So it's a big deal. The presence of God is coming into the city. And here's what David says in Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. What we find here is that David the author is just giving a lot of praise to God as the one who the earth belongs to him and not just the earth but everything inside of it. And David is saying, let's honor this God. Let's praise him. He is the owner of the earth and everything in it. Well, there's another Psalm 95, and I would encourage you to turn there because we also see this displayed that God is the owner. Psalm 95 verse 4 says, He, speaking of God, holds in his hands the depths of the earth, and the mightiest mountains, 
The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land as well. So what we can see from these two passages, and there are many more that talk about God owning everything. God, creator, inventor, the one overall and above all. Many passages that describe this for us. But what we see in Psalm 24 and in Psalm 95 is that it helps us to form a theology of God as the owner. Not me, but God is the owner himself. And that frees us up a little bit to now begin holding what we have and what God has entrusted into our care with open hands. And we, we tend to do this. We pull it in towards us for fear of what we might lose or what we might not have. But with God as the owner, and when we recognize that, and when we live that way, we can start to hold things with open hands, and that is wonderful. Thinking point number one, God is the owner, and that helps us. Here's thinking point number two, and that is God's people are managers, or we could use the word stewards. God's people are managers, or stewards, but when I think about that, I ask the question, stewards of what? Managers of what? Because if this is a recommendation for me, if this is what God desires and what he asks of me, then I want to steward what he has given to me in an excellent way. But I need to know what? Like, what's the list? What's the list? Just tell me, and then I'll begin to work on that, and maybe you feel the same way. Well, what I would like to do now is take a good portion of the rest of our time to just walk through five different areas that we see in Scripture that God expects us to manage well for Him. This is certainly not an exhaustive list. There are more areas and more things that God wants us to steward well for Him, but this is a good list and I think we could spend really the rest of our lives just working on these five areas and saying, okay, God, I will do my very best to manage these things well for you. So let's walk through this. Area number one that God wants us to manage well for him is creation. We see this right away in what God created in the book of Genesis God created humans and he placed them in the beautiful garden of Eden and told them, I want you to reign over and I want you to have dominion. That's what God actually said to them. Okay, humans made in my image, here's this beautiful garden and this beautiful world that I have created. I want you to reign over and I want you to have dominion. That's your responsibility. Well, what does that actually mean? Well, I believe it means to manage. You reign over this. You have dominion. You steward this well. And I think this looks like respecting what God has created. And that's what God wanted from Adam and Eve. And I believe it's what he wants for all Christ followers to respect everything that God has created. For when we respect God's creation... We are respecting him as well. And one of the ways that we image God is by caring for creation. 
Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how humans were made in the image of God himself, which is a remarkable thought. We have the opportunity to image God with our actions and with what we say and with what we think. And one of the ways we can image God is by stewarding his creation around us in a good way. So area number one, God expects us to manage creation. Area number two is children. How about that? And I think we could even throw in their grandchildren as well. So for parents and for grandparents, we are blessed with the gift of children for a purpose. And that purpose is to raise them in a God-honoring way. So that at some point, we can release them back into the wild, so to speak. And God willing that they will flourish in those environments doing whatever it is that God has called them to do. That's our purpose as parents and grandparents to raise these precious gifts that we have for a short period of time and to do our best to honor God in that process in our imperfect and sinful ways as parents and grandparents because that's who we are but we can still raise our children in God-honoring ways and then release them so that God can fulfill his purposes through them in whatever it is that he has called them to do. This is the opportunity we have to manage our children well, grandchildren. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, there is just a phenomenal story of a woman named Hannah. And I would encourage you to read this account because there are all kinds of themes within the first chapter of 1 Samuel about prayer and God's provision and keep asking God for what you need and for what you want and how God is good and we have a responsibility to respond to him. So many different themes. But what we find in 1 Samuel chapter 1 is that Hannah's praying to God to have a child. She, for whatever reason, wasn't able to do that. And so she kept just crying out to God, God, would you please give me a child? I want a baby boy, specifically. And so she kept crying out to God, asking for that. And God eventually answered her prayer. And she became pregnant, and she had a baby boy, which she promptly, after having him for a very short season, gave him back to God. She brought the little boy back to the temple to be raised by the priest there so that he could become a man of God and a servant of what God wanted him to accomplish in the nation of Israel. And that's exactly what we see happening. And again, you can read all about that. Hannah's story highlights for us the responsibility we have as parents to raise our kids in a godly way for whatever amount of time we have them. And we see that in 1 Samuel chapter 1. I think the story of Hannah also helps us to see that our children belong to him. And again, we have them for a short time, and we're supposed to steward this responsibility to raise our kids in a God-honoring way. Most of us will have our children longer than Hannah had her son, but whatever the amount of time is, They ultimately belong to God. We have them for a short season, and we should steward that responsibility with care, and we should steward it well. So area number two is children and grandchildren. 
God wants us to manage that responsibility effectively. Here's area number three. It's, it's our money. Our money. So here's what's interesting. For the Christian, our, our money is not really ours. It, it comes from God. For God is the one who has given us the ability to work and to achieve and to succeed and to earn. God is the one who provides. I think it's kind of fascinating because the Israelites, God's people, were instructed to bring the first and the best of their resources back into the temple of God so that God could use what he had given to them and what they were returning, just a portion, for God to use within the temple and throughout the world so God could accomplish his purposes. And God said, if you do that, if you bring the first and the best of what you have and you give a portion of that back to me, I will pour out a blessing into your life. And it will be amazing. We read this in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Here's what it says. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And that word tithe there is fascinating in the text. We'll define that in just a moment. But if you like to highlight and underline, I would encourage you to grab that word because it means quite a bit. So here's God through the prophet Malachi saying, Okay, nation, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. It's one of the few times in Scripture where we find God saying, give it a shot and just test me on this and see what happens, which is really interesting. The word tithe is an Old Testament word that means 10%. And so Malachi is talking about bringing one-tenth of their resources, the first and the best of what they had, and to bring that into the temple for God's usage. God then instituted this as a practice throughout the nation of Israel. You get to keep 90% which is fascinating because that's a good deal if it doesn't actually belong to us anyway and we get to hang on to 90% of what isn't ours, we would sign up for that most of the time. So God's saying, you get 90% and I get 10 so that I can do my work throughout the world. And then Jesus picked up on this concept of tithing, of giving 10% and living off of 90 when he says this in Matthew 23, 23. You should tithe. Yes, you should do that. We are going to talk more about the spiritual discipline and the spiritual practice of tithing, of giving, of generosity on June 26th. I would encourage you to be here for that day as we continue to think about this. But in the meantime, I would also encourage you to begin evaluating where you stand with the resources that God has given to you with the idea in mind that it's not actually something that belongs to me. This is from God and I have a responsibility to bring my best and my first and give that back to him. There's something about doing this 
that is beautiful and simplistic, when we intentionally choose to live off of less so that I have something to share with God so that he can accomplish his work in our communities and around the world. There's just something amazing about holding what we have with open hands and saying, okay, God, I will trust and I will test you in this. I would just encourage everybody, begin thinking about this now and wrestling with this. And as we continue thinking about being rooted in Christ, we will get to this discussion on June 26th. I think it will be a great day. So area number three is money. And I know that can be a sensitive thing, but I don't feel it has to be because God has a wonderful plan for how he has resourced us and how we can take what actually belongs to God and begin to resource his work in our communities and around the world. It's incredible, and God wants what is good for us. So that's area number three. Okay, area number four, another place, something else that God wants us to manage, and that is hospitality. Now, this might seem like a strange thing, like, oh, I didn't know God wants me to manage that area of my life, but he does, and we actually see this throughout Scripture. Stewarding hospitality and getting good at it, even if we don't like it. You know, this is something that may be a lost art in our culture. Hospitality. Inviting people into our world and into our space. And often that involves our homes, but it doesn't always have to. It's about opening our lives as well and being hospitable with who we are being vulnerable and transparent and helping the people around us in any way that we possibly can. We're often so busy and running that we don't have time to pause and say, let's clear the schedule and clear the table and invite people into our space and share a meal together and love and laugh and cry and pray and steward what God has given to us this way. This was a highly valued thing in antiquity, being hospitable. It was a demonstration of love and inclusivity. To be hospitable was to say, come on in, H have a seat at my table because you're family. So come on in because we, we belong together, we're family. So imagine me saying to all of you over here, hey, come on in. Sit down with me. The table is clear. We're going to have some great food and some sweet desserts. And your family, your family. Or imagine to the middle sections. Hey, you guys in the middle and you ladies, come on in. Come on in and have a seat at the table. We may not even like each other. But who cares? Come on in because we're family. And family finds a way to make it work even when they don't always get along or when they disagree, right? That happens. Or for this section over here, hey, come on in. Come on in because we're family. And let's just talk and pray and eat and laugh and cry and share this time together. You know, part of our mission as a church 
is we want everyone to experience a real relationship with God. But the other part of that is we want people to have real relationships with the people around them as well in our community of faith. And perhaps one of the greatest ways that can happen is when we say no to good things and to busy things and we clear the table literally and say, come on in. We're family. We're family. Just to emphasize this, author Brennan Manning states, sadly, the meaning of meal sharing is largely lost in the Christian community today. In the Near East, to share a meal with someone is a guarantee of peace, trust, fraternity, and forgiveness. The shared table, and I love that thought, right? The shared table, here's what it does. It symbolizes a shared life. Just to emphasize this, I want to look at a few pieces of Scripture that talk specifically about hospitality. And keep in mind, this was a high priority in antiquity. This is what they engaged in as a way to manage what God had given to them. So look at Romans 12, 13. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice, say the word with me, hospitality. That's right, always be ready to do that. And this is how we take care of needs. By the way, in antiquity, hospitality wasn't just for the people that you liked. Because honestly, that's really easy to do. Like, we're great friends. Yeah, come on in. I don't even have to clean, right, for that. Just, just come on in. Who cares? We're friends. But in antiquity, hospitality involved those on the fringes, the individuals that nobody else cared about that were pushed to the edges of culture, the foreigners, the strangers, the enemies. Invite them in. And this is how we care for each other. Here's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. How about that? And here's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. <laughs> There's a challenge, right? Like we could say, okay, God wants me to manage being hospitable, so I'll invite people over, and we got to clean, and we got to prepare a meal, and I'll do this because it's the right thing to do. And we grumble the whole time about it. God is saying here, you know what, offer this without grumbling and without complaining. There is a whole ministry here with hospitality. And if you love food and using it to spark friendship and show love, just go for it. Do it. There's no need to sign up for anything. Just make that happen and know in doing this, you are demonstrating the love of God and you are managing well what God has given to you. So just start practicing hospitality. It's what God wants for us. Okay, one final area. Number five, it's our bodies. The Apostle Paul challenged the Corinthian church to honor God with their physical body. And he wanted them to do that because they're, they, were, they were caretakers of what God had given to them physically. 
So I want you just to listen to these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul is talking, and he says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? That is a really intriguing question. Like, don't you get it? For the believer, your body is a temple, was given to you by God, and he lives within you? Maybe you've never thought about the value of your body and how God sees it. Just know that you are a temple, and the body is a beautiful thing, and we're charged to care for it. We're only given one body. God wants us to manage that well. So it goes on to say, you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. So many postmodern moral theories that sound progressive and great for humanity and not old-fashioned actually devalue the body. When you get under the hood of these theories and you research and you investigate, that's what you find. Some of these new postmodern moral theories, they devalue the body. Christians are called to steward and manage their bodies well because this honors God who has a very high view of our physical bodies. They matter and we should manage the body that we have as best as we possibly can because God has a high view of you and our physical bodies. Okay, these are the five areas. Again, not an exhaustive list, but I think we could spend the rest of our lives just thinking about these five things and trying to manage them well, being a good steward, creation, children, money, hospitality, and our bodies. Let me share two takeaways just to wrap this up. Here's takeaway number one. Hold what God has given to you with open hands because it belongs to him. Again, I think there's just something so freeing about holding what God has entrusted to us with these open hands and not fearing and stressing about what we may lose or not have or what could be taken away from us, but just by faith trusting him that he is a good God and he is the owner. So the challenge here is to hold what God has given to you with open hands. It's not really ours anyway. And when we change this thinking, boy, I think we can become great managers for God. Takeaway number two, approach every day as a living sacrifice to God. Not just some days, but every day. Every day. I sacrifice myself to God and I will follow him. I will say no to me and yes to him so that I can keep on following him every day in every way. How do we do that? Well, we take up the posture of a manager, not an owner. We hold our lives and everything that God has blessed us with, with open hands, trusting that he is a good God. Back to the big idea. Everything I am and everything I own belongs to God. 
Let's be good stewards this week. Father, we're thankful for a little bit of time today to just think about this core belief of stewardship. We find it throughout Scripture. You've asked us to manage some things for you well. And we've walked through five different areas. There's more, but help us to concentrate on these five over the next few days. And just do our very best to hold everything with open hands. God, maybe there's someone here in the room or watching online that's really struggling with the idea of ownership and they're grabbing something and hanging on. I pray that you would just encourage them to release that a little bit. To still think and be wise about making decisions, but to just lay that before you and ask for your help and support and direction. God, I confess to you, my natural tendency is to take what I think I own and to hold it as close to me as possible for fear I might lose something or for fear that it might be taken from me. So I pull it close. And I confess that to you. God, would you help me just to remember that you are the owner and I should take up the posture of being a manager and to just place all of this at your feet, the resources that you have given to me, the family that I have, the work that you have called me to, and just hold that before you and ask you to help me manage that as effectively as I can. And God, I pray that for everyone in the room. May we be releasing our hands to you now and what we're holding too tightly to just say, okay, God, we're going to trust you. And in faith, we're stepping out. And we'll even test you with these different areas and just see what God can do. God, help us. Help us to steward well for you. I'd like for you just to keep your head bowed for a moment. Just to say, God, here's what you're whispering into my heart right now about stewardship. Here's what you're saying to me. Just talk to God about that. God, we thank you again for this time. Help us to take these thinking points and these takeaways and these five areas and use them in our lives and manage well for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.